Good morning, Midland Free. Amen. I'm liking that. Are you? Wow, it's going to be a good day, I think. Thank you, Lord. My name is Jeremy. I'm the preaching pastor here. Uh, We're delighted to have you here to worship with us this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, If you're a guest, we want to warmly welcome you. And of course, if you're a member, we want to warmly welcome you as well. So welcome to Midland Free. We're currently in the middle of a uh, study, actually nearing the end of the book of 1 John. And uh, I like to just warm people up a little bit before we start and see if they were listening last week or halfway alive. And so my question today to begin with, to begin with is this. Uh, when I talk about soccer and I tell my little kids by the end of the season, this is my strategy, this is the one thing I want you to do in three words, but they're the same word, I want you to... Yes. All right. Did you hear that, Ezra? All right. Good. I want you to pass, pass, pass. And I said, that is my soccer strategy. And just like I have a soccer strategy, God has a strategy for his church. In three words, the same word is God's strategy is. There we go. All right. You guys are right on. Thank you very much. Today we're continuing in First John and. I was thinking about it this week as I reprocessed the sermon and such, and obviously God's overall strategy is to love, 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 but there's a lot of differences between sports and life. And as I was talking to my wife, one of the things I said to her is, you know, one of the nice things about sports is at the end of the day, it's so, so clear who won and who didn't. I mean, in reality, all you have to do is just look up at the scoreboard and there's one team this and another team that, and that's it. But what is it in life? I mean, what's the win? You know, in sports, there's all kinds of strategies. You can emphasize offense or defense or passing or tackling or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, you can question the coach's call, but if you look up at the scoreboard and it's a win, regardless of this substitution, that substitution, this play, that play, this decision, that decision, the scoreboard is really clear. You either won or you lost. Congratulations or better luck next time. It's really clear. But in life, you look at all these things and you say, man, what is the win? I mean, what's the win here? I tried. But what's the win? Well, let's say I know as a loving father I need to provide for my family. So perhaps, you know, earning an income, that's the win. And I can work, work, work. And if I uh, choose a particular uh, line of uh, career, perhaps I can earn, earn, earn. And eventually, maybe I can get to the point where I've done really well for my family. But we've also seen families that have been in those circumstances that have completely fallen apart. So clearly that's not the win. What's the win? Perhaps it is to, you know, do really well in my family. And so I obsess about my family and then I fail in my occupation and then my family falls apart because of that. Well, that's not the win. What's the win? Maybe it's my health. You know, I can't get my family perfect. I can't get my career perfect. Perhaps I can just eat all the vegetables and exercise as hard as I can and get everything right in my body. But we know that eventually our bodies fail, and that can't be our final goal either. So what's the win? 
So many different competing values in life, and all of them seem to be mutually exclusive. If you do one, you can't be doing the other, and I never get any of them all right, and how do I know in the end if I actually was a success? What's the win? What's the win? Today's passage in 1 John, I think, will actually address that very clearly. Before you even open your Bibles, let me show you this screenshot here of the entire passage. It might look a little bit small from where you're at, but what I want you to be able to see is that there are are four red symbols in here, and that symbol is the Nike swoosh. Exactly right. You'll see it uh, appear by the word overcome, overcome, and overcome, and by the other word victory. Now, the reason I put the Nike swoosh symbol in here is this. is actually the Greek word here. Guess what it is? Nike. Exactly right. The Greek word for Nike means victory. It means to overcome. And as you look at this passage, what you see is that over and over again, the Apostle John is saying, here's the victory. Here's the win. This is what it looks like in life. If you want to be a winner, here we go. 1 John chapter 5 tells you how to win. Well, is that true, Jeremy? Well, let me show you another slide. If you're a data hound, here's another picture for you. These are a bunch of New Testament books that contain the word victory. The first two are Matthew and Luke, and then you have Romans and 1 Corinthians, and then the bottom two, the longest part of the slide, are 1 John and Revelation. In other words, they're by the same guy. The bigger, longer books hardly even address the topic, and yet in this little itty-bitty tiny letter, it occurs over and over again. Moreover, in the book of Revelation, which is focused on the future and also in the struggles in the present, the same author, the Apostle John, is emphasizing to the people, here's how you overcome. Now, in their circumstances, as John was writing to them, they're going through persecution and all kinds of crazy stuff, And that looks a bit different than North American Christianity. But we've talked in the past a little bit about how our scenario is still a struggle and relates to theirs, even though if it's a different different form. Theirs being more overt and aggressive and ours being more subtle and under the radar. And so here we are in this situation where we can be distracted by so many things and frustrated with incompletion and wondering about all our hard work and saying to ourselves, Lord, what is the victory? And John is going to answer that. So if you have your Bibles then, I'd invite you to turn to the fifth chapter of the book of 1 John. This is 1 John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I'm holding up one of ours. This is a blue Bible. We have these at the back entrances of our worship center, and we would love for you to be able to follow along. So if you have uh, come in without one, you're welcome to uh, use one of ours, and if that works for you, great. If not, feel free to follow along up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take a blue one home. If you do, start using the one you have. (laughs) First John... Chapter 5, it says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments 
And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. 1 John chapter 5. In life, whether it's in sports or perhaps in business or whatever your occupation might be, if you want to uh, win, probably the process you're going to walk through is you're going to say, well, who are the people around me that are winning? You know, who are the winners? And then you might say to yourself, well, what are they doing? And you figure out what they're doing successfully, and then you say to yourself, okay, how do I do that? So today, as we look at this passage, that's the approach I'm going to take as well. I'm just going to ask those three simple questions, which you'll see outlined uh, right here. These are the movements of the sermon. The first question is going to be this, is basically, who are the victorious? Or who are the winners? This is on a slide. Um, This is the first service for today, so we haven't had a chance to work through this yet. Who are the victorious? Who are the winners? And what do they do that makes them win? And then three, how do I do it? So these are the three movements of today's sermon. And we're going to begin with the first question, who are the victorious? As I hinted at earlier, we, in this life now, we struggle quite a bit. And oftentimes you might hear people say things like, well, that's just life, you know. Ugh, that's life. We get sick. Stuff breaks, we lose, our friends die, relationships fail. That's life. Enjoy your day. Welcome to life, kid. Get on with it. But then, as I think about that, you know, if that were the end, boy, that would be depressing. I mean, we'd have all we would all have good reason for becoming um, complete um, nihilist, or just say, you know what, might as well just give up. But the reality is that statement is only partially true. And what's true about it is this, is that is the life that we experience here and now in the fallen world as a result of sin. Yeah, that's what happens. In this present current life, the stuff we experience now is not always the stuff we would have it to be. It's tough. We make mistakes all over the place. And so does everyone around us. As a result, we pay the price. And that's life. But what keeps me going, and I suppose what keeps many of you going as well, is that although that is temporal life, that is not eternal life. 
And it's those little glimpses or tastes or hints of eternal life now that keep us going in this temporal life. And so in some ways, I want to challenge your thinking and say, hey, be careful how you process things because you say, oh, that's just life. You're actually defaming the gift that God has given you. He is giving you eternal life. Eternal life doesn't look like that. Eternal life is good. So if you want to talk about real life, you should say, oh, man, real life is awesome. Eh, the life I have now, not so much all the time. But when I get hints or glimpses or taste of that eternal life, man, that is good. And that keeps me going. So real life is good. Fallen life, not so much. Here we are now struggling with fallen life, and we have issues. Our cars break, our houses break, and other things. And so we try to come up with solutions. We say, okay, I need to make more money because my car needs to get fixed, or I need to get more money so I can get a better house, or I need to you know, go to the doctor so they can give me this pill, and I need to go to this therapist so they can fix my relationship, and I need to do this so I can fix that because everything's broken. These are my fixes. But in reality, those are the things we do to achieve what it is we actually want. And what we want is not temporary fixes, but instead an eternal fix. What we want is everything perfect all the time for the rest of our life. So when or how in the world do we get that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 tells us, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to ask many of you churchy people this morning, hey, what's the victory? The quick and easy answer is, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is the victory. And you're right, but what do we mean by that? We mean two things. And I want to walk you through this carefully because as we see what the victory is, then we can more appropriately and aptly apply it to our lives. So who or what is the victory? Well, Jesus is the victory. What do we mean? We mean two things. Number one, we mean his work, his achievement, his win. And number two, we mean his person, his person. So let me start then with his work and just uh, give you a brief overview of what that is. If you've heard it before, great. It's awesome. If not, this is what we Christians believe is actually the thing that determines our eternal destiny. This is significant. John, 18, John 10, verse 18, Jesus says this. He says, this is the charge I have received from my Father. In other words, Jesus says, this is the game. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is why I'm here. God the Father told me to do this. This is my mission. I have come for this purpose. The verse goes on and it says, in verse 15, this is why I came. I have laid down my life for the sheep. Here's why I've come in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. And we as Christians look at that then as the ultimate victory. So what happens is as you watch Jesus walk through his uh, last week on earth he goes through what we call the passion and he suffers and eventually he ends up on a cross and at the very end he says this in john chapter 19 it says after all of this knowing that it was all finished he said this to fulfill the scripture i thirst and a jar of sour wine stood there they put a sponge on it and they gave it to him and when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit 
Those three words in English and one single word in Greek, I think is perhaps the most significant word in all of Scripture. In the original language, it is tetelestai, which just means it is finished. It's done. The whole thing is over. When Jesus died on the cross, he could say in a completely confident way with the all-knowing mind of God that it's done. That even though we lose on a daily basis right here and now, whether it's physically, financially, spiritually, relationally, or whatever else, Jesus can still say, I won. No matter how bad you lose, his victory is enough to overcome all of your losses. He entered the most holy place to obtain an eternal redemption. So then the question becomes then for us is we want to ask the question, well then, 1 John 5, 5, who is it that overcomes? Well, it's not us. In a sense, it is Jesus, but here's, here's the caveat and here's how we can win is that those who believe in Jesus are now considered winners as well. I think it's a little bit like this. I've heard, although I've never been on a winning Super Bowl team, that every single member of the franchise gets a Super Bowl ring. Now, we would naturally think, of course, the quarterback gets a ring. He's the guy that threw the ball. And, of course, the running back or the receiver gets a ring. They slammed it down in the end zone. Or maybe the field goal kicker who won the game or the blocker who did whatever he was supposed to do or whatever. But in reality, you can actually go on eBay, and I'm not advising you do this. It's better to spend your money on missions. (laughs) But if you want, you can probably bid on or purchase a Super Bowl ring. Now, that's probably not going to be the quarterbacks, or that's not going to be the coaches, but it might be the janitors. (laughs) And he's like, you know what? I got the ring, but I could do a lot better with it in some other way, (laughs) right? Because I'm walking down the street, and nobody's ever going to recognize me, and it doesn't matter one little bit. I'm going to sell this thing. So whether it's the janitor, or the therapist, or the water boy, or the whatever, anybody on that team who's associated with the victory receives the prize. Well, so too is the message of Scripture. Hey, none of us are the quarterback. None of us are the kicker. None of us are anything. We only have one franchise face, and that is Jesus. But as long as we are associated with him, as long as we are on his team, then at the end of the day, we're part of the victory. We win. And we get the ring. We get the crown. We celebrate on the streets of gold because we are associated with Christ. So then, as Christians, then the victory, in a lot of ways, it's nice because it's not dependent upon us. We look at Jesus and we say, even though we lose, you win. Even though we sin, you are perfect. Even though we fail and mess up, you always get it right. What an incredible and encouraging thought that is for us as believers. Who is the victorious? Question number one. Well, it's Jesus. But it's also anyone who is associated with him. So in this passage, what you'll see is you'll see who is the victorious, and the answer is those who believe, those who believe, those who believe. The ones who are associated with or a part of the team, they are the ones who are considered victorious. Number one, who is the victorious? Jesus 
and his team. Number two, what do they do that makes them victorious? Well, they believe the testimony concerning God's Son. If you look at verses 6 through 12, and I'll actually show you another picture of this here. Uh, You can't really see it too well, but there's a picture of somebody being sworn in. And what you see is, in fact, the word testimony occurs over ten times in this passage. Now, that, too, is significant because uh, the Apostle John only uses this word 17 times in all of Scripture, and ten of those occur in this section right here. In other words, this is key to the victory, is the testimony. It is the testimony concerning God's Son. What do the believers or the winners or the victorious do? They believe the testimony concerning God's Son. Now, earlier we talked a little bit about the work of Christ, but the testimony considers not only the, involves not only the work, but also the person as well. Because you cannot have salvation without the perfect person and the perfect work. Those two combined make up what we call the good news or the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let me give you a little context here as what's going on in this passage. Why is John so concerned about the testimony? Well, because the testimony is being messed up. What's happened is Scripture says one thing, but another guy who's really popular and really eloquent and really articulate and a well-favored you know, well-heeled, intelligent philosopher in their community comes along saying something different. And the question is, is, well, which one are you going to believe? And this guy's got a lot of fancy logic, and he's got a lot of fancy philosophy, and he's got big words and all sorts of erudite things to make him sound intelligent and articulate and everything else, and people go, wow, that really makes sense. You're sharper than I am. I don't know, maybe you're right and John's not. And John says, hold the phone. Let me clearly explain to you what the testimony of Jesus Christ is. And here's the thing. We've talked about his work, but we really need to be clear on his person. Because this guy by the name of Serenthus, who is the pre-Gnostic philosopher, was going around saying that, look, 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 hold on, folks. The Bible says that Jesus is perfect, but come on. Do you really know anybody who's perfect? I mean, really, (laughs) have you met another human being who is perfect? There is no way possible that a human being could be perfect. In fact, what I experience as a human being with flesh and blood is the constant state of decay. You know, I wake up sore and sicker every day. I'm not getting any better. This Bible stuff just doesn't make any sense. You can't have a perfect person. Matter and flesh are evil. And the only thing that is good is the spiritual. The higher realm of nirvana. When you leave this world behind, this earth is not good, but instead it is evil, and therefore you must transcend it. So says the erudite philosopher. And then what happens is he begins to belittle the humanity of, of Jesus Christ and says, look, Jesus could not be flesh and blood. He must be only a spirit or an apparition because if he were flesh and blood, clearly he'd be evil just like you and me. And so this Jesus, what then according to Serenthus, this is heresy now, but I'm telling you so you understand the passage. He is saying this. He's saying, okay, so this man, Jesus, yeah, he was special. We get that. But what happened is he's a man just like you and me. 
He was born in the normal way, completely disregarding the conception of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And he came out a normal way. But at his baptism, God realized, hey, this guy's really pretty cool. And so what I'm going to do is give him a special blessing of my spirit, and I will make him the Christ. And consequently, the Spirit will come down on him. And when the Spirit does so, then, as a result, he'll be very special and he'll do some ministry. But when it comes time for him to die, the Spirit is going to leave. And therefore, God will never experience death. And this is what Serenthius was teaching. But then, as you read the Apostle John, he's saying, no, 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 that can't be true at all. For Jesus to be your actual Savior, he has to be not only 100% God, but also 100% man. From beginning until end. And so he puts this really weird verse in here. And you'll see it, and I hope it makes sense now. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. And he says this, remembering what Serenthus taught. This is what John says. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Okay, so let's figure this out. In this debate, in this setting, what is the water that both Serenthus and John are referring to? Baptism. Exactly right. Now, John, the Serenthesis was saying that Jesus was divine at baptism, but what happened at the cross, according to Serenthus? No longer divine. But what does John say? This is he who came by water and by blood. In other words, as bookends to his ministry from the very beginning until the very end, the whole time from his baptism until his crucifixion, from the water until the blood, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. There is no change or variation whatsoever the whole time. This is he who came by water and by blood. This then, chapter 5, verse 10, is the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. This is the testimony that you have to believe from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end of Jesus' ministry encompassing the whole thing that whoever confesses the Son has life and whoever does not confess the Son does not have life. The entire time, Jesus must be both fully God and fully man. Otherwise, there is no chance at salvation whatsoever. From beginning to end, Jesus is the God-man. So in other words, what the, uh, the person who believes does, is they believe the testimony concerning God's Son that He is fully God and fully man. Fully God plus fully man equals salvation, and that equals victory. So, point one, who are the victorious? Jesus and His team. Point two, what do they do that makes them victorious? Well, they believe in the testimony concerning God's Son. The testimony that he is the perfect man and the perfect God. 
his perfect work completed on the cross. So then, how do I win? Verse 4, it says this, And this is the victory. Here is the victory for us. Here's where it all comes together and makes sense. The victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Our faith, our belief. Belief and faith are central to the Christian message. Now, you and I are sitting here saying, wow, that still doesn't fill in the gap for me. (laughs) You just said faith. That doesn't help. Well, the reason is, is because we think of faith and we think of some, you know, ethereal, intellectual, heady pursuit that only happens in the spiritual realm. We think of it as just intellectual assent, that I agree with this. But in reality, when the Bible talks about faith, what it's actually going to say is that faith is not only the intellectual assent, but the full reliance upon. In other words, let's say, for example, that I come to you and I say, I have a really good investment opportunity. Now, let's just pretend that I'm not me and I do, okay? This is a great opportunity. In fact, we've run the trends and we've done the studies and this fund has been in existence for as long as the stock market. And it's always ex- excelled the average market returns and it has a consistent you know, uh, history. And if trends of the past predict the trends of the future, then this is the fund for you. Highly diversified, excellent place to invest your nest egg. This is where you want it. And I show you all the data and you say to me, yeah, looks good, I agree. And I say, okay, let's invest. And you're like, nope. Like, why not? Well, I agree, but I'm already tied up elsewhere and I'm not really interested at this time in making a move and so I'm not going to be bothered. I'm going to agree, that looks good for you, but that's not where I'm going to put my stock. Why not? Well, I agree, but I'm just not going to rely upon your investment advice. Well, in a sense, what you've said in a biblical way is, I don't believe you. Because what the Bible means by belief is, if I present something like that to you and you truly believe it, you say, okay, I am all in. Here is every single penny I have ever saved and I'm going to invest it fully in this. I am 100% in. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Everything. I am risking it all on this because I believe it and I am fully relying on it and I am fully invested in it with everything that I am and all that I have. Because this is my thing. That's the type of faith that Scripture refers to when it says believe. It's not, yeah, yeah, I I agree with this over here. I hope that'll get me in, but I'm going to partially live over here because in reality, I'm not, you know, it's good, but... No, it's all in 100%. Investing our time, our talents, our treasures, our resources, everything in the belief that Jesus is victor. This is the victory, our faith. You know, investors, they tell you don't put all your eggs in one basket because what happens then is if a raccoon comes or if a rat comes or if a hawk flies by and they're all in one basket, then that basket's gone. But if you have them spread out, then one, two, three, four baskets, you're okay. But Christianity tells you the exact opposite. It says put everything all in for the cause of Christ. Everything in one basket. All on Jesus. We believe fully 
that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And if this doesn't work out, then I of all men am most miserable. So I've put everything into this. That's biblical belief. Absolute reliance on the testimony of God's Son. Now, let me show you how this plays out in your life then. There's a statement I'm going to put up on the screen. And if you'd like, you're welcome to um, write it down. This is what winners do. This is what Christian winners do. Um, These three statements should sum it up. All in, all out, and all good. All in, all out, and all good. And what I mean by that is this. Because God is all in, because Jesus paid his blood and won the whole thing, because he sacrificed his life and accomplished the victory, then we can go all out, 100%. Because God is all all in, we can go all out and know that it's all good. This changes radically my perspective on everything in life. Because if I look at stuff and I say, you know, my goal is, you know, I want to I be as good as I can because I'm a type A, overachieving guy and I want to get it right in every single area. I'm going to work hard. I'm going for perfection as best as I can accomplish it. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be disappointed every time. So I'm going to have a conversation or I'm going to have a relationship or I'm going to have an investment or I'm going to have a bad hair day or whatever and things won't go well. But if instead of looking at myself, I am looking at Christ and saying, okay, there is the victory and I am all in with that, then the pressure's off. And I can believe by faith that because he already won, then I can go all out and not have to worry about the outcome. Because I know that Christ has already paid my price. That he has won the victory and as a result, my faith My belief in Him is the victory that overcomes the world. This radically changes the dynamic. And the question then is no longer, did I come out on top or am I better off? Or did they like me more or did they understand me? But instead, at the end of the day, is did Jesus get lifted up? Did Jesus receive glory in this? And that can happen in so many different ways, not only in my victories, but also in my defeats. If I lose, if I mess up, I can say, yeah, I did. You know what? Shoot, I blew it. I'm sorry. I'm a person and I messed up and I didn't mean to. I wronged you, whatever. I'm sorry. But if I am genuine and humble and repentant in that, then guess what happens? Jesus gets glory. And he wins. And at the end of the day, that's a victory. So victory is no longer based on my performance, but on Christ. And I can be assured of victory because his performance is perfect, even though mine never is. And so in some sense, then I can become a perfectionist, as long as I'm looking at Christ and not at me. And I can always say, we won, we won, we won, over and over again. Because at the end of the day, when I look at the scoreboard, this is what I see. It's a trillion to zero. Because Jesus wins every single 
time. As a result, I can go all out knowing that God is all in and it's all good. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says it like this. You know, when you put on the full armor of God, you use the shield of faith. Because that's the victory. You hide behind that belief and you hold up that shield. And when the fiery darts of the wicked one come, you go, ah, 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 Jesus won, Jesus won, Jesus won. Every single time they bounce off and go left and right. But if you move away that shield and say, okay, I'm ready to fight, (laughs) good luck. Good luck. The only victory, the only place to look that we are guaranteed to win every single time is at the cross. That was the perfect work. That was the perfect man. And that is the victory. Thus, the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul can say, hey, look, who are the victorious? It's the believing ones. It's those who are associated with the winner. What do they do that makes them winners? Well, they believe in Jesus. And how do they live as a result? All out, all in, knowing that it's all good. This weekend, as you, you, know, you go off and you picnic and you celebrate things, my hope or my challenge to you is this, is that you'll sort of change the question. Instead of at the end of the day, you don't say, did I get it all right or could I, could I should I, should I this, should I that? But the question is, is where did Jesus get the most glory in this? What will make him the most happy? If you ask that question, that applies to every single little thing. That's not me telling you what to do, but that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And you can say, hey, here's a conversation I'm about to have. Should we talk about the weather, the sports, the whatever? Or what would give Jesus the most pleasure? I'm going to be around some friends and family and relatives I haven't seen in a long time, and we could shoot the breeze and then walk away. But what would give Jesus the most pleasure? What would bring him the most glory? Now, I've got 15 minutes. What am I going to do with that 15 minutes? I've got $10. What am I going to do with that $10? I've got X, Y, Z. How am I going to use that? Entirely dependent upon this question. Not how do I get it right, but what would please Christ most? In fact, I would completely change the bracelet. If you're wearing a WWJD bracelet this morning, good for you, and that may help. But guess what? You can't JD all the things JD. (laughs) You never will. You're just not there. It's good to move in that direction, and I'm not saying don't try, but at the end of the day, you're going to come away defeated because there'll be one time you don't WWJD. But instead, I think the question should not be WWJD, but WWGPG. J.P., what would give Jesus pleasure? What would bring him the most glory? If I ask myself that question and I'm looking at his victory, then at the end of the day I can say, you know what? As long as he won, then whatever, I can rely on that. And that's a really good feeling. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Who, are the, who is the winner? Jesus and whoever's on his team. How do we get on his team? By believing the testimony concerning God's Son, the person and work of Christ. And what do I do? I go all in and all out because it's all good. Faith is a victory 
that overcomes the world. Father, you're a good and gracious God. Everything you do is right and true and just, and uh, everything we do is not. And so, Lord, I know as a father and a husband and an employee and a pastor and a human and a person, I am a sinful man. But I'm so thankful for your son who wasn't. On him I fully place all my trust, all my hope, all my reliance. In his victory and in his victory alone, I believe and place my faith. Lord, may his victory be at work in our lives, our church, and our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.